Alrighty, what's going on, folks? Welcome back to Not Another Football Podcast. We're your host, Greg, Mike, and JP. How you guys doing today? Happy Tuesday. Yo, happy Tuesday. Happy NFL Post Week One. Ooh, what We're back, baby? Weekend. I have an important question for y'all, and I've been thinking about this all weekend. Oh. What's the go-to game day food for y'all? Because that's extremely important to me. Like, I I fired up the Traeger. I got the ribs. You know, Tina made this amazing like Mexican elote dip that was phenomenal. Like what? Like what's the food that helps you get right for week one? Ooh, that's a great question, Greg. What do you What do you usually munch on for week one to get you in the football football mood? Um, for me, honestly, it changes week to week. Um, but if I had to say like just a staple that I would have every week, whether it was me buying it or me making it myself would obviously be wings. I think wings are just a classic go-to. Can't go wrong with them. So I would say wings. If not, if it's just something casual, like I didn't go to the store or anything, you know, I'm probably just having some candy or some chips, maybe a jalapeno kettle chips. Ooh. Best, the kettle brand ones, the best. Yeah, kind of kind of want to hang out at your place, Greg. That sounds good. <laughs> but hey, bring I mean, the ribs. No. <laughs> normally, it's just whatever I have at the house. If I don't go to the grocery store, I'm not going out that morning to get food. So, it sometimes it's either feast or famine. That that's that that's, West Coast living. I'm like, saying, like, <laughs> for me, moving to the Midwest was the best thing for me because games start at 12 and they go till 10, and it's just like perfect. I can get up if I got to do the lawn in the morning. If I got to go grocery shopping, I get that like that nine to twelve window to get everything I need to be done, and then no one talks to me from twelve on. So, it's... man, that must be nice. I know it's only an hour. I know we on the East Coast here we only have to wait an extra hour. But growing up on the West Coast, having games at ten a.m. was, in my opinion, the best because you just you wake up and there's football. But being out here, you have a full morning, a full experience of life, and then you have to wait for the game. So. We'll go to the store, but I'd say that our, our go-to food is really anything that we can cook overnight, to be honest. So we'll do, like, uh, Nayara makes a phenomenal buffalo chicken dip. Uh, we'll do chili, anything you can dip chips in. Like, man, it. we were so lucky this year to be at a baby shower for week one, and her dad was grilling. And so we had a straight-up Brazilian feast, and it was amazing. Incredible. Can't have that every week, but, man, it was it was a good week one. Can we, can we, before we get into like news and topics and all that, I, how insane was the early window this year? This, like, this was, has, this has to be one of the most absolute bananas opening window that I've had in a long time. It's like watching, particularly the Bengals Steelers fiasco where no one could remember how to kick. <laughs> Insanity. You know, I got to say, Camille and I were driving back from camping this weekend. So I missed the whole morning window, but oh, it's it was actually really fun looking at all the highlights during during the one o'clock window of just all the game highlights. And I was just for like 30 minutes just sitting there like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, look at that comeback. How did they? What? No. Miss Field? What? It was it really was fun. I mean, I was OK with missing that the the morning block because the highlights were so good if does that make any sense absolutely totally and what a morning it was <laughs> but can oh okay we're we're it seems like we're just kind of jumping into this how is it that the colts are i think in the last like nine or ten years they're over in week one i think they're like oh nine and one they just cannot That's win during week impressive. one impressive Okay, so as a Panthers fan, this is what frustrated me the most. Uh, Cleveland had not won an opening week one in 17 years until they played the Panthers. Now, I'm very frustrated with how that game ended. The officials should have called a penalty on the fake spike because the fake spike into a spike is an intentional grounding. And then in the explanation of why they're, why the refs didn't call it, they said, he faked the spike and then spiked it, which is against the rules. So even the officials said that this was against the rules, but didn't call the penalty on it, which was that at that point that was fourth down. So it should have been a turnover on downs, which ended the game before the 60 yard buzzer beater kick. Anyways, I'm not going to complain about it. So the fact that watching the red zone 
you had absolute insanity going on left, right, and center. The Lions backdoor covered on the Eagles, and that didn't make it into the red zone montage because of such insanity everywhere else in the league. Well, even the refs can call a mulligan and say, hey, this is the first week we're allowed to make errors. If if the coaches can do it, I'm going to say the refs can do it as well. Oh, and if the refs can do it, we can do it. So let's talk. <laughs> so before we get into our first actual topic that we normally do, let's, let's discuss some league news. And I feel like it's just been a, a huge thing in the last couple of years, uh, especially during week one, is just injuries. And it's something you hate to see. And although there is a complete entire list of injuries and players that went down, um, let's just spend a couple minutes and talk about the main ones um, that kind of have the the biggest impacts on their team. We have a whole list of them. um, And guys, if you want to, if we want to talk about them, but let's just start off with the first one, that being Dak Prescott. What, what does that do for, what does that do for the Cowboys? Um, Right off the bat, I immediately want to say their season is shot. So Mike, what do you, what are your thoughts? I mean, what, what luck? I mean, it's, it's, it feels like Dak just came back and it, it feels like the very next day he's gone again. And, you know, I, I just, I almost feel bad for the Cowboys, but at the same time, it just, it continues for me to highlight their struggles as an organization to find what they had in an offensive line that could protect their most valuable players. And, you know, they have a running back who is capable of putting up really great yardage and, and, and really taking over a game. And yet they still force, they force their offense into this, this pass happy pass go lucky offense that never really gets off the ground. And they have, you know, the, the 88 club commercials and, and things like that. But it, it, it again, almost falls on deaf ears because you're, you're looking at their offense and saying, I don't want to be a part of any club associated with this because this is garbage and they aren't trotting out anything that's, that's worthwhile. And yet, Getting their star players hurt continues to be almost a theme for them year after year after year, and it's it's sad. And and I just really I'm happy to hear that Dak had successful surgery on his clean thumb fracture and will be back. But it's you know it, it's an ominous start to the season for a team that is seemingly always in a in a prove it year, but never gets to see what happens when they don't prove it. So I'm interested to see how it how it falls how it unfolds for them. But how did the rest of how do you all think that that injury will affect their season and and what's your take on it for me the the issue that that comes with this is that you're coming into a situation where the reason why you pay Dak big money is because he has the ability to create outside of scripted plays so when things break down especially when you have an offensive line that had that huge huge injury at left tackle you have a completely revamped offensive line the only stalwart you have is Zach Martin so what becomes very difficult for them is what makes Dak super successful dating back to his first, like his breakout year, his rookie season was, all right, we have a dominant, we have a dominant offensive line that can establish the trench. We can run, we can run the ball down anyone's throat. And then that opens up Dak for play action and boots and using that athleticism and his arm strength to really push and stretch the field. What now happens is the next two months, you have Cooper Rush who can't do that. You have an offensive line that was shaky coming into the season, looked shaky last night, and it doesn't look like they're going to find areas to improve. And you're already going against a division that has a decent amount of pass rushers scattered throughout. When you go up against that Washington defensive line, when you have the like the Bama boys up front, right? You have the Eagles, who they also suffered a really big injury in losing Derek Barnett for the season. You mm-hmm. having you're having a, you're in a division that has good pass rushers. So when you lose your quarterback that gives you that extra mobility, you have an offensive line that is looking suspect at best, and you've moved away from your power run game, it's just going to spell disaster for them. You already are missing someone because you have Michael Gallup, who's done for the season with a torn ACL. So all you have is CeeDee Lamb out there and Dalton Schultz. So you're putting everything back on your defense that isn't going to be able to replicate what they did last year. Yeah, and I just I don't see how they can crawl out of this. Uh, even if he comes back, you know, they say four to eight weeks, or, or I think it's four to six. Even if he comes back at four, you're already 0-1 for the season. Even if you split the games, even though the – I, I know I keep saying even though because I'm like trying to find um, how this could work out for them because 
that the NFC isn't what the AFC is. If if the Cowboys were in the AFC, I would say they're completely done. But because right, the NFC right. isn't as good this year, there's still a chance that they could make the playoffs. I just I'm finding it hard to see how they'll do it. And I only I know it was only one game, but they didn't look that good. You know, only two tar or two catches for CeeDee Lamb. I don't know. The O-line just isn't that great. It's looking like Mike's prediction of the Giants uh, finishing second. It's it's uh it's looking pretty good right now. I have so many regrets from last just from last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> but we even look, like the minutes. podcast, JP. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but even even looking at the next four games, you have the Bengals, you have the Giants, you have the you have the the commies in Washington, and then you have the Rams, right? Like Trey Hendrickson, you have Leonard Williams and uh, you have Leonard Williams, you have Montez Sweat and the Bama Boys from Washington, and then you have Aaron Donald. All of those are issues that you're gonna have. Like all of those are are opportunities for your offense to put up another really bad performance. So how do you dig yourself out of what could be potentially I I think maybe you can sneak a win against the Giants? But you take a loss to the Bengals, you take a loss to Washington, maybe. So you're thinking you get two wins, so you're two and two and four to start the season with potential division losses in there. That's a big At hole best, to climb out of. Yeah. At best two and four. Because if the if the Giants that showed up on Sunday show up Monday night against the Cowboys, that's like, a Monday what night are you gonna primetime do? game. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Dallas and New York, of course they're gonna put that on primetime. They shouldn't, but yeah, here we are. So, JP, I know you just touched on uh, Derek Barnett. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and lump him with another defensive player. I'm gonna go ahead and say TJ Watt. What do those respective injuries do for their team? How does that affect them? Obviously, I know TJ Watt is going to be a little bit bigger as you know coming off the defensive player of the year. But um, how do you see both those injuries impacting their respective teams? Well, with Pittsburgh, you're lucky you're in a system that is predicated on creating pressure from multiple angles. They call themselves Blitzburg for a reason. You're going to get pressure from different areas. However, you're losing the defensive, the reigning defensive player of the year. He had, what, two sacks and a pick in that game? He had a pick at the end, or outside linebacker, whatever they call him in these that system that they run. So you're losing that. But luckily, it's different from the Derek Barnett because reports are he's going to be back in six weeks. So that changes the that changes the calculus. Derek Barnett, he was coming off of an injury riddled season last year. You're counting on him to bring that edge pressure. While I talked about it a lot last week of the Eagles having a lot of depth, you're losing that 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 rotational ability because you're you're having to dig deeper. You're not getting that former Pro Bowl level talent on the outside, and that's gone for the whole season. So that's where the impact is felt a little bit more in Philadelphia. And you can see they gave up 35 points to the Lions. And you can tell that the defense needs to get back together. The defense needs more time to gel and to get that rotational depth clicking. Whereas I think in Pittsburgh, them boys are going to be causing problems nonstop all season. It's going to be a fun defense to watch because they have so many, they have so many different angles in which they can attack you from and having Tomlin and Brian Flores and all of those individuals in that defensive staff, that are really going to help create pressure from multiple angles. I think the impact while it's greater because it's a greater talent, Pittsburgh is in a better situation to deal with it moving forward. So, Mike, I want to talk to you about some some trench work, right? We lost, you know, we talked about the, the defensive ends. We talked about the quarterback, the offensive line. Two, two really big injuries to talk about here with Jawan James going down. You know, there was a scary injury in the Bucks cowboys game with Donovan Smith hyperextending his elbow. How does that offensive line, how do those offensive line injuries impact their respective offenses moving forward? You know, it's, it's a tough question. Only, only in the sense that offensive line has been a really tough position to build depth at for teams year over year. It has felt the last maybe decade in the NFL. Um, And Juwan James himself was brought in as a, potential replacement for Ronnie Stanley not being ready to go with his ankle injury over the last two seasons, which is coming on his third. Um, and so seeing him go down with the, uh, an Achilles injury on this in the same Achilles that he had hurt uh, while he was on with the Broncos, it is, it, it's very concerning, but 
I'm not so sure that it doesn't open up the opportunity for teams to scheme their offenses a little bit better. And uh, similar to losing Donovan Mitchell on, on the Bucks, and I can't remember if they lost their uh, left tackle for a significant amount of time, but within the game, the Bucks having lost that uh, left tackle only allowed Micah Parsons to just feast on Brady in the backfield, who's not as mobile as most quarterbacks, given his, uh, it, in in lack of a better term, advanced age. Um, and so, I, I, as far as the trench work goes, I just think that all these teams really have to dig a little bit deeper and and understand that, you know, coaching offensive line is not just talking about getting your pad level low and 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 how to kick slide and and make a good block. It's also about understanding your assignment and how your assignment relates to the other four folks on the line and how you can protect your quarterback if something breaks down. Um, And so we're going to see a lot of depth work this year and and really the teams that have made that effort to, to keep and and, uh, develop some talent are going to be the ones who, who are successful with losing offensive linemen as we move forward in the year. And, and, and as we look, look to the future. So um, with, you know, talking about offensive line and, and understanding how their blocking schemes work, I think it almost begs the question, how does teams who are losing folks like running backs really work their way back into rotation or especially if they're not gone for the full year? Um, so Greg, I, I really want to ask you about Elijah Mitchell and how you feel like he, his loss and his absence for the next couple of weeks is going to affect that 49ers backfield, given that they do have a couple of, as you would call in fantasy handcuffs who can support his absence. You know, immediately I want to say it's the Shanahan system. So no matter what running back you put in there, it's, you know, no offense to the players in, I don't want to minimize their injuries, but it's kind of like rinse and repeat plug and play. Um, and thankfully you have a, a really solid O-line. You have two good receivers. Debo very much is a flex player who will line up in the backfield and he will take some of those reps. Obviously it hurts. I think he's, uh, has a knee injury and is done for, I think it's like two months. And sometimes any lower body injury, especially when it's a skill position is really hard. You know, it may not just be the the time out. It takes a couple weeks to kind of get back in and acclimate themselves. So Mm -hmm. I think that offense will, um, I think we'll, you know, suffer a little bit. I don't know how much give but just based off of what I've said. Um, I think Debo will take some snaps and I'm sure uh, the rookie that they drafted that they were high on this off season um, will kind of plug in and, and, and do fine. Um, I think they're honestly, I think their problems are a lot bigger than no offense, Elijah Mitchell, Mitchell going down. And uh, so they'll have to figure out that quarterback position. So um, I think on our list, I know we have uh, one one additional injury uh, that we wanted to touch on before we moved moved forward. JP, do you want to do you want to take Jamal Adams uh, and chat about how his injury affects the Seahawks, even though they won? Yeah, I think what's interesting with the with the Jamal Adams injury is that we don't know the the exact extent yet. The, what we're getting from Pete Carroll is that we have a serious quad injury. The thing with Adams towards the end of last year is that. When he was hurt, the, the Seahawks pass rush actually took a huge dive. He is so flexible as that box safety that can come down, play linebacker. He can drop into coverage. He can get you some picks. You know, that in and of itself is not his his forte being that ball hawk, but the flexibility that he adds for you to come up in the run game. I know Seattle historically has played a lot of cover three that allows that safety to kind of come down. They'll play more in that in, in the flat, in the slot. I think what, where they're really going to see the struggle is that that impact that you don't see on a stat sheet. So the ability to set the edge, the ability to create pressure in the right moments that are going to cause overthrows and allow your defensive linemen to end up picking up those sacks. So his impact isn't going to necessarily be seen on the stat sheet, on the big flashy things that everyone kind of looks for. But when it's a breakdown of what is my defense base? So right, if we're running that that base cover, we need to figure out how we're going to fill this role yeah, and JP, you kind of touched on it a little bit there. And I think his presence mainly is a bigger absence to the Seahawks defense than it would have been for his previous team, the Jets, or a different team he's on. Because uh, depending on the scheme, they yes, they may utilize him as just a strong safety. But because they can put him down in the box, they can put him on the line, they can use him as a linebacker, outside linebacker, 
you know, small lineman type and put him inside of the box, I think that will hurt the Seahawks defense in the long run. Yes, it didn't really hurt them too much on Monday night, but over the course of the next 16 games, his presence will be felt in that particular scheme. So I wanted to bring a new segment in this week. Um, I'm very excited about this one. New faces, new places. Obviously, we have 10 brand new NFL head coaches this year who went for a record of, I believe it was 5-3 and, oh, sorry, 5-4 and 1, which the one I'm very interested to talk about. So I want to go around the pod, talk about one of these new coaches that you saw this week who you were um, kind of excited about to see a new face in a new place or who you were surprised that didn't show up to to snuff and i know greg has been talking about this in our group chat about it so i want to start off with you greg who's your new face in a new place that you want to talk about this week this comes as no surprise um given my pick for them last week and that's kevin o'connell of the minnesota vikings you heard justin jefferson uh talk about in previous weeks about uh how happy and how excited he was that o'connell was the new coach and how after watching film and seeing the playbook he saw just how Cooper Cup got open so much and how easy it was for him uh, against defenses and whatnot and that he was so excited for this season. Oh boy, was that, that on display in week one against what many people thought would be the number one defense in the league. And granted, it's only one game, so let's let's not jump ahead here. But I was reading something and listen to the breakdowns of the snaps that Kevin O'Connell put Justin Jefferson in. He took Justin Jefferson took 41 snaps outside, 12 in the slot, two in the backfield and one at tight end. So out of those, he got 93 yards out of this uh, lined up on the outside and 91 yards in the slot. If you were just watching the game in general, you saw the wide open catches he had and you were just kind of thinking to yourself, how did he get that much separation from the defense, especially being the number one receiver, top five receiver in the league? You, it, it just baffled me, uh, the game plan that uh, the Packers had against him. So I'm not going to go too much in on the defense and whatnot. I'm really excited to see what Kevin O'Connell does uh, more as the weeks go on, especially being from the McVay tree, you know that offense is is predicated on pre-stat movement, getting the quarterback to see the defense, the different reads, and kind of just making the job easier for everyone. It's very refreshing. I'm sure Minnesota fans were thrilled um, after that win against the Packers. Man, I couldn't be more happy about my pick choosing Minnesota. And yeah, this is the first time I've been excited about the Vikings in years. So. Uh, thank you, Kevin O'Connell. I know it's only one game, but man, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid so far. No, I get it. And what's what's great is that I was listening to NFL Live. You know, shout out to Mina Kimes, my favorite NFL analyst out there. She's calling them the Rams North. And the reason why they're doing it is that they're running their base sets out of 11 personnel. And for those who don't know what 11 personnel, you have one running back, one tight end. So that's where you get the 11, the one and the one. So what's really interesting is that creates so much confusion for defenses. And you even hear from Jair Alexander, who was expressing frustration with Matt LaFleur and the defense over there. He says, I would have loved to be to spend the whole time traveling with Justin Jefferson, but that's not what I was told to do. I would have loved to seen it like everyone else. So I think Kevin O'Connell bringing that 11 personnel base allows for so much flexibility. And that's how Cooper Cup ended up having his year. And now you have Justin Jefferson plugged into that same style of offense. So, Mike, who's your new face in a new place that you want to talk about this week? I mean, look, I hit on it last week. I can't get over how Brian Dable just came in and and really, I thought, played a good game. Like, you know, it was nice to see him get Saquon involved with the same sort of confidence that a fantasy manager would have in drafting Saquon in, say, a couple years ago. So it was nice to see him back. I think I have to say, like, you know, I think that that Dable ran a very tight ship. I I mean, yes, there's always going to be things you can do a little bit better. But, man, for for a team that is coming out of the lowlands of the NFL, it was nice to see some life put back in the Giants. And and I'm really excited to see where they end up and, and, 
you know, it makes my my pick feel a little more confident from last week. Really excited to see what what him and and Wink and the and the crew can do with with that offense. And but JP, who did you um, of these new head coaches in new places? Who did you find the most entertaining and most interesting? Well, for me, it's not necessarily entertaining. It's it's actually quite the opposite. I was very disappointed in the way that Nathaniel Hackett handled the Broncos' debut. You have an extremely emotionally charged return to Seattle. Obviously, there's going to be booing. The relationship that was between Russell and Pete Carroll frayed immensely at the end. And to see how they called that offense throughout that game, you know, his first like four passes went to tight ends and there were checkdowns. So I'm confused as to why in that situation, and I'm going to talk about the end of the game because that's what really had me concerned. Why in that situation, you know that you have a quarterback who's coming with high energy, let him out, let him loose. You saw that's exactly what Seattle did with Geno Smith. He started off the game 12 for 12. Yeah, exactly, right? Seahawks country, let's fly. The biggest issue that I have with, with the way that Nathaniel Hackett handled is that one of the things about hiring a coach who doesn't have head coach experience is that you're now realizing that time management, one of the most the most crucial thing to closing out close games, you don't get that experience when you've when you've just been a coordinator. You're not the one in charge of calling the timeouts. You're not the one that's whose job it is to make those game time decisions. You have I don't know if either of you saw the NFL live or the Monday night football Peyton cast, the Manning cast. That video of Peyton Manning slowly but surely getting more frustrated as the clock ticks down, they spent 30, 35 seconds of clock time, not real lifetime, clock time, to call a timeout on fourth and five to end up trying to kick a 64-yard field goal when you have a quarterback who you just paid $245 million to. You go and get rust for this situation, and that is something that is going to be a growing pain. You have to figure out that situation. Yes, you had you you found a way to make a big play happen to get you back into that game with that touchdown pass to Jerry Judy, but as someone who's coming from, I spent all this time with Aaron Rodgers. I had this experience of working with one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the position. You have to be able to then translate that. You have another generational talent in Russ. You can't go fourth and five. With the game on the line, granted, I get that it's week one, but you bring him in to do this. You're brought in as an offensive you know, genius to help solve this issue. You should be able to get five yards when the game is on the line. And you have a quarterback who can do it not only with his arm, but also with his legs. So mm, well put. I'm, I'm 100% sure that the Broncos fans that we know feel the same way. But you have to be frustrated with this, with this debut because you were picked – in this group of death to be a sleeper and you just fell asleep at the end of the game. There's no, there's no excuse for it. There's no one else to blame, but the head coach. Especially when you sit there and say to yourself as a Broncos fan or player in that locker room, we should have won this game. We had two fumbles at the one yard line. Okay. Take that away. You, you lost by one. That field goal obviously would have put you in. But the, the, the reasoning and the thought process behind the head coach who said he had his mind made up coming into that drive. First off, I don't believe anything he says. I think he's just trying to um, make it look a little better. <laughs> yes. Because if you ask when he said, I, I asked, I don't know, McManus, I think is his name, the kicker, uh, where do we need to be? And he said, uh, the left side of the 46, I feel comfortable kicking a 64 yarder. Okay. Uh, I'm sure if you would have asked Russell Wilson, hey, if we're fourth and five with game on the line, do you feel comfortable going out there and winning it for us? Uh, The answer is hell yeah, he does. So why do you have more faith in kicking a 64-yard field goal and you're not in Denver? If if you were in Denver, I think more people probably would have said, you know what, okay, that's a little bit more reasonable. But you're at sea level. you're, You're just not getting that. And I think the stat came out that a 64-yarder or something at that depth, uh, kickers are like 2 and 50 or something like that. I would happily take my odds. And if you went for it, even if even all the clock management stuff, so many things went wrong in that game, but you still had a chance to win. If you didn't get it at 4th and 5, it's still a better call 
than kicking a field goal. The kicking a field goal at that time was the worst decision you could have made in that moment out of all the possible things you could have done. So I don't know if it's something I can say it's the first game jitters. I know we talked about this in the beginning with UJP and the refs. Right now, I will say, hey, it's his first game. I will give him that pass. But it was a terrible, very stupid mistake. And uh, it was just a bad call. And he can't justify it anymore. It was it was a bad call. He did the wrong thing. Totally. And I think to jump back to, to the coach that I was talking about, you know, it, it shows the juxtaposition between the faith in your offense to go for something that might not necessarily be that go-ahead score or go-ahead points that you needed, but it 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 will you know, put you in a position to win. And I think it's very telling. And I, I'm very interested to see what got y'all most excited from week one. Okay, we've talked on this before. I think, Mike, you you started it. But I'm, I'm saying not even the Giants in general, just Saquon Barkley. I have not been that excited to see a running back or just a player itself um, perform so well in, in recent years. Um, I, I think mainly it's because of the injuries he's had and his breakout year and I, I can't call it a breakout year. His rookie year, when he when he won Rookie of the Year, it's what we all thought. We thought he was going to come into the league and do that. But then the injuries happened, the ACL, and then the continued ankle injuries. And he's such a powerful player. And the things he can do and just, you know, the I mean, the position itself, when, when you get injured like that, you've seen star running backs in the last, pretty much the entire NFL, who have had injuries. And you say to yourself, Man, if they never got injured, what a career they would have had. And I guess you can say that in sports in general. So I know it's only one game, and I'm extremely thankful and happy to see what he did. I think he put up, I think it was like 165 rushing and another 30 in passing. But the the burst that I saw on that 60-yard run, I remember just look I remember just thinking to myself, I was just like, damn. Like <laughs> I yeah, forgot back, buddy. Was, I forgot how he could play. I forgot he was that good. I forgot he was that talented because I hadn't seen it pretty much since 2018. So I really hope he can stay healthy because that was man. I, I know the receivers have popped off in the recent years because the game has changed and into a passing league, but there to me it was something special to see a running back do what he did. I think that's an excellent point. And and just to pile on that, it's it is great to see that players can come back from injury like that. And, and as you know, there have been so many players before him who have had similar injuries and haven't been able to reproduce or, or really get back to the kind of contribution that they had had to the offense prior. And seeing him be being able to, to take hits, give some, give some pain back out is, is really, uh, really encouraging. So yeah, I think that's, that's incredibly exciting. JP, what got you most excited? The chiefs offense, they, hit on all cylinders it's just it was so interesting to watch because there were so many questions on can Mahomes do it without Tyreek is not having that game breaker on the outside going to completely change the way that defenses approach the Chiefs you know you don't have the you don't have the super like the freak athlete that is Tyreek Hill and they came through and just put a licking on Arizona and it just goes to show how creative that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are when they're creating that offense. The the fact that you are having, you know, you're putting Sky Moore at running back, you're bringing Clyde Edwards Hill to play fullback, you're running a fake counter, underhand pitch shovel pass for a touchdown. You're coming back, you're getting so many different weapons involved. Yes, you're going to have Travis Kelsey, who is an absolute superstar and probably will go down as the second greatest tight end of all time behind Gronk. You have so many ways to get people with the ball in that offense and it doesn't matter what you do like justin reed is out here kicking field goals like <laughs> the chiefs just kept on clicking like did not miss a beat and that made me so excited and it gets me so excited to talk about something coming down later in the show but mike what made you excited about week one we were you know day after what's got you going yeah i i have to say you know seeing uh justin jefferson pop off was real nice it was it was it, it, it didn't feel like a long time coming and, and everyone knew that he was getting better and he was going to be a a stud but i think to greg's point earlier like in that offense and the way that they schemed him my goodness what a threat 
you know, and I think it's it's important to note here that when coaches know their players' strengths and can scheme to those to those strengths, you're just gonna have a great time and and just watching him tear it up up and down the field and 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 really make an excellent Packers secondary look foolish was something you know I I was very excited to see and, and I think that got me so excited only because it just shows that like the league is evolving yet again in a sense that it's moving from kind of a running back heavy league into not just being pass happy and, and wide receiver happy, but also scheming those, those players open. And I think that is continues to be a struggle for, for a lot of teams. When you see like quarterbacks who will make a completion with 0.1 yards of separation versus players like Justin Jefferson, who were catching the ball with no one around them. And I think it, it, it speaks a lot to the scheme. It speaks a lot to their, the player's ability. And it speaks a lot to the camaraderie and, and, and the discussion that those players and coaches have and belief they have in each other to, to, to run plays that beyond just the, the or, or, or beyond pick plays, which I hate it, it, it really shows the, the skill of the, of the coach and the coaching staff and, and, and the player as well. So that's what got me excited. Real quick I, question for you guys. I've seen this on Twitter. I've seen this over the offseason uh, with the NFL Top 100. A lot of players, active players, aren't putting Justin Jefferson as uh, a top five or top ten wide receiver. But the one person I keep seeing in there that bugs me is CeeDee Lamb. To me, I'm taking Jefferson all day. Is there an argument that can be made for Lamb? Is there something I'm not seeing? Am I just missing something? Am I being a hater? Like, What is it? Is, is, help me out here. I'm just saying you're not going to get it from me. I, th- I think CeeDee Lamb is, is too thin, too soft, and not not really a, a go-get-it receiver. Um, and I don't think that works as well in any offense. So I, 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 can't, I can't subscribe to what these folks are saying. And I think Justin Jefferson is the complete antithesis of that. And he continues to go get the ball and to be that guy. I think, you know, CD, like he makes the flashy plays. He'll make the one-handed, he'll make the one-handed grab. He'll go up for a contested catch. But it's what makes, what separates him is the route running. And Justin Jefferson is such an amazing route runner. He's so technical in and out of cuts. And when you pair that with now a new offensive coordinator who has the ability to actually let that route running ability shine, you're going to see, okay, there isn't that big of a gap in terms of athleticism. But where it comes down to is you can have all the pure speed and talent that you want. If you can't get in and out of cuts effectively, if you can't understand when to sit in space and how to read his own defense or realizing, okay, I've got a man on my hip. You know, we say this all the time. You know, if I'm, if he's even, he's leaving and realizing that once you have that stack on you, you have him on that back pocket, you're gone. You throw the hands up, you know that you have that beat. And I think it's an understanding of how he is going to play positionally. Additionally, I don't think that the Cowboys are using CD to his best, his best efficacy. It all makes sense. I, I'll have to ask a Cowboy fan, or maybe I'll have to do my own research because I know people can be biased, but I just, I, so far I haven't seen it, and it, it bugs me. It, it really does bug me when I see it. And this is the season for him to really show it out, right? With with the other quality receivers on that roster being hurt and having just such young guys around them. He should be that guy, right? Like he, yeah, they moved out the Cooper for him. Exactly. I mean, but we won't see it this season. You don't have a quarterback to get you the ball now. Not for the first eight weeks. That's it's going to be a problem, and we won't. Where it's going to show its head is that you know we're we're going to get into do we extend? Do we pick up an option? Like that's the problem that we have with these. With you know, that's the one of the big problems with wide receivers. You're seeing all these wide receivers getting paid, getting paid, getting paid. But now what happens when you're a wide receiver in this quarterback situation where you haven't been able to shine as much as you, you want to? Could I also argue on that, though, JP, with your quarterback going down, that means you need to step up even more as a number one wide receiver and that you prove it. Yeah. You should be that guy like he should. I mean, he should be that regardless. But now that your quarterback is down, I Metcalf isn't out there making excuses and he's got Geno Smith and Drew Locke as his quarterback. So, Hey, you put some respect on Geno Smith's name. He went out there and won him that game. Hey, I have, I mean, in the words of Geno, they wrote me off, but I ain't write him back. Woo! How long, yeah, no. how long do you think he had that, that line ready? 
you I know think what? he's had that one since like mid July. Be- because he's in I thought it camp. W- it's too hot. Because he got the W, I'm gonna say he just pulled it out of his pocket last night. No, oh, <laughs> no. That's he's what been waiting on so that. Cold. He's been sitting on that one. <laughs> you could tell by the way he looked down right before he said it. He's he was waiting on that one. This is my shot. One opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> what a question. All right, so let's 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 go ahead and move on. Uh, because you have two Raven fans on here, we won't we won't spend too much time talking about this. But I just want to get your guys' opinion on this. Lamar turns down the contract from the Ravens, uh, which would have paid him up there. Uh, I believe it was with Russ and with Aaron Rodgers, which is good company. But he said no, and he wants a guaranteed contract, fully, you know, fully guaranteed, kind of like what Deshaun Watson has. Um, I think we, a lot of people in the league, and we are all on the same page that, like, one, Watson shouldn't have been the first person to get a guaranteed contract. Hmm. And two, that contract is kind of an outlier. It shouldn't be there. As a fan, I think it's reasonable, the offer that we gave him without, I mean, if the reports are, you know, what they say they are. I was fine with giving him that type of money. Um, are you guys in favor of Lamar betting on himself and turning down the contract and playing this year on his final contract? JP, what about you? Or let's start with you. So as the non-Ravens fan, I think that the Ravens sh- should throw all the money that they possibly can at him. I am of the belief that I am very pro player when it comes down to contract negotiations. I'm never going to side with an organization over a player. Go and get your money. You're putting your life, you're putting your body on the line. Go get your bread. I think that if you're looking at the like you're looking at the importance of a quarterback, right? I understand, you know, there's there's data that shows once you hit a certain percent of the mark of the cap share as a quarterback, you lessen your odds of of winning, but no other quarterback does what Lamar does. None. You do. There's no one close to his dual threat capability in the history of the game. He literally set the record for most rushing yards as a quarterback. He won an MVP off of it, right? So it's very, it's very perplexing to me for the Ravens. Is like, okay, you, you've seen what it's like in the background of not having a quarterback. So it's going to be extremely confusing to me to why let him play this out because the the, the frustrations of it all is that. You need to pay this man his money because he's done everything that you've possibly asked of him and more with little to no weapons provided for him to be successful. And as you can hear Oliver in the background, he completely agrees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I I agree. It's it's a tough it's a tough conversation. And Steve Viscotti, the um the Ravens owner, has come out before in in fact when Watson got his fully guaranteed contract and spoke against the fully guaranteeing contracts for players. And, you know, I'm not so sold that it is an organization versus player conversation in this case. I think that the organization's willingness to offer more guaranteed money to Lamar than Kyler and Ruscott and kind of continue to move the market forward is one thing. But I think what we're really running up against here is that Deshaun Watson and his fully guaranteed contract are in our division. And what the Browns perhaps unwittingly have done yet again is hurt teams who still have to sign a quarterback within their division. And, you know, the the fully guaranteed contract is something that is important and I believe players should have and have earned over these these many, many years of, of sacrificing their bodies and their limbs and, and their... Um, their faculties to the league. And at the same time, I'm not so sure that after this last year, that the Ravens were ever going to agree to a fully guaranteed contract for, for Lamar. And it, it really sucks as, as a Ravens fan to say that, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of torn between both. I have belief in the organization that they will and are offering the best that they can. And I also have belief that Lamar is negotiating this in the best way that he can. And to be in for his own future, why wouldn't he go for a guaranteed contract? And he should. And I fully believe that the Ravens should give him a fully guaranteed contract because unlike so many other players in this league and so many other quarterbacks in this league, Lamar is a person who is all in. And when they drafted him 32nd 
even though it was in the first round, he still said they're going to get everything they have. Everything I have in me is coming to the Ravens. Why shouldn't the Ravens be giving this man everything that they have in a fully guaranteed contract? But to me, there's it makes no sense not to give him that and to have this be the sticking point on one of what will eventually be one of the largest contracts in NFL history. I mean, you were gonna set you were gonna set the tone at some point. It might as well be now. Don't wait until you have other players and other quarterbacks setting this this setting this because it it, it makes no sense. Lamar is not only better than Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has never beat the Ravens with Lamar, and it is it it, it ceases to be an argument over whether Lamar deserves the money because he does, and it becomes an argument over when will the Ravens recognize that he deserves that money before somebody else does. So, Greg, you're in the GM spot. He comes into your office. You don't want to give him that guaranteed. Do you hit him with a franchise tag in the summer? And then you're forced to pay him ultimately equate to about $46 million guaranteed to play fully on, the, on the tag? Fully guaranteed. No, that's the that's the tag requirement, right? That That's the second year though, right? The first year wouldn't be – it's not that much if I'm not mistaken, right? So when you're hit with a franchise tag, it is the average of the top five highest paid in your position. Okay. Well, I'd give it to him. If I can't work it out, and if he's dead set on having it fully guaranteed, you have to tag him. Like you, I'm not going to let him walk. So yes, I, I, I'd i hate to. I hate to pay that much, but uh, you can't let him walk right now. But the reality is if you don't, if you tag him there, you run risk rather than you know, give him that full money. One, you're getting one. You're putting yourself in a situation where you're paying full money either way. Do you want to one fracture the relationship you have with your star quarterback, who's already out here liking pictures of him in other teams' uniforms? That was a joke. He came out and said it on a podcast. Don't start. Oh, yeah, sure, no, sir. Sure was, no, sir. No, sure sir. Sure, it was a joke. Sure, it was a joke. Uh huh. Yeah, I totally believe that. But um, do you do you run the risk of of upsetting your franchise quarterback who? After the second, after the second tag, he's gone. Okay, let me let me backtrack on my first one. Let me say this: it depends on how we do this season. It all depends on how we do. If it's a Joe Flacco situation, like like back in 2011, 2012, where he bet on himself and we went and got and won the Super Bowl, back up the brakes. I pay him whatever. I pay him whatever the hell he wants. But if we don't even make the playoffs. I would I would be questioning it. I would go to Lamar and be like, hey, let, let's be honest here. Here's your record, blah, blah, blah. You've done this, yeah. But if we're giving you this type of money, here's what we need we needed from you. It's easier said than done, but I think it kind of depends on how this season goes. I do agree with Greg that if he wins the Super Bowl this year, like it's kind of like the Ravens are over a barrel at that point because they, they can't not pay him and they're just going to have to franchise him for the next couple of years, so... I don't think they will. I think they'll get it done this offseason, but we'll see. Which brings us just into, you know, anything else we saw from week one. I know we talked about it earlier. <laughs> but was there anything you guys saw in week one that really stood out to you um, or that kind of jumped out of the out of the matchups or, or anything else that you guys wanted to, to touch on versus what we chatted about <laughs> earlier? I have my one minute on the Panthers, and this is all I'll say. The first half was absolutely atrocious, absolutely terrible. The fact that McCaffrey only had 10 rushes in the game is is extremely concerning to me. He should have had the re-emergence that Saquon Barkley had. What I did enjoy seeing was in the fourth quarter, Baker Mayfield showed up. Five for six, 94 yards, two touchdowns. That's the type of Baker, uh, a passing touchdown and rushing touchdown. That's the Baker we need to see moving forward. And I think first game, quote-unquote revenge game so much hype build around it and the offense itself came out flat the play calling was not great but once they decided okay we need to let baker be baker this is how we need to let it go and we need to keep our offense moving that way um i talked about the question we'll call in the beginning of the podcast but the defense we let up over 200 rushing yards so that's disappointing to me and we need to find a way to fix our front seven a game that I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit when we preview week two's game, is the 49ers versus the Bears. I don't know how much to put into that game. Obviously, one of we've said it multiple times so far. It's week one. A lot of teams don't play their starters, so you don't know you don't know what you're getting from your teams. Uh, the other factor that 
played was the weather. Um, the weather can be very unpredictable. So I have no idea what to really think of either team. I think when you have bad weather, it tends to help the more buttoned up experienced team because they know where they're going to help helps with offense. But the bears are one of those teams where they're just kind of put, put together. So it, it worked out in their favor. I'm very interested on how uh, the Seattle Niner uh, Seattle versus San Francisco game is going to go in week two um, for many different reasons. So um, that game just kind of tripped me up and I'm still trying to figure out how much of it is really on just bad performance versus is Trey Lance really your going to be your quarterback for much longer? Which is kind of concerning considering how much capital they gave up to get him. If he's not their guy, it's kind of tough to see how they, you know, what if they trade him instead of Jimmy G to someone who who's quarterback needy? Greg, I'm glad that you brought up the preview to that. Let's talk about, Week two, let's move ahead. Let's see what's going on. Um, we have some very interesting matchups, and I really want to get your thoughts about, you said the matchup you're looking forward to is is the Niners' next game. Mike, I want to turn it over to you. What is the one game from the next window that you're really interested in seeing how it's going to help shape the outcome of the season moving forward? That's a, a great question, JP, and I, I got I to gotta be honest. I know you just talked about the Panthers and, and your concerns, but they're, they're on my list, man. Like, Week two versus the Giants. I'm very excited to see what they trot out and how they bounce back from from a loss and how they bounce back under their new QB one. So uh, I think that'll be a interesting game. Right now, I'm looking in and uh, New York is favored to win, but I'm not necessarily sold on that. Um, and so I would be very very interested to see how those uh, the Panthers offense versus the Giants defense and Giants offense versus Panthers defense are probably my top my top two question marks for this upcoming, upcoming week. And, and those are the ones that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing. What about y'all? For me, it's the Thursday night game. We have chiefs chargers, you know, Amazon prime is, is rolling out their first takeover, full takeover of Thursday night football. And I'm just, I'm so excited to see what this chiefs offense against that chargers defense is going to look like the chargers defense put Derek Carr in in torture scenarios last week you know he had three picks five sacks he looked lost and somehow at the end of the day they were still able to make that a very close game so i'm interested to see if kansas city continues that same that same outlook i'm i'm fully expecting a shootout especially since the chargers may not have jc jackson kansas city just put their rookie corner trent duffy on ir so we're going to, yeah, he got put on IR this morning. So we're going to see what it's going to be. It's going to be a full shootout in Kansas City. And I think it's going to be, I think this has the potential to be the game of the season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw this morning that Jackson and, um, oh my God, why can't I think of the wide receiver? Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen. I thought I saw both of them rolled out for this week already. So yesterday's report, since it's a Thursday night matchup, you have to have an injury report out a day earlier. And since they didn't know what the situation was going to be for Allen and Jackson, and they didn't actually practice, even though they didn't practice, they still have to put out an injury report. So it said that they were going, that they were out of practice today. Jackson returned in limited participate as a limited participant in practice, and Keenan Allen was still out. So let's see what happens. You know, you have a lot of you have a lot of young wide receivers behind Mike Williams in that Chargers offense that I think are showed up last week so it's interesting to see what's going to happen and this is also why i will always say i hate thursday night football not only do thursday night games kind of suck usually but a couple things are working against them uh it right now and i i would go with the chargers if they i know it, it it's obvious but if they were at full strength if they had jackson and allen if they do both play um I, i'd choose the chargers in this one if not i'm going with kansas city but it, why is Thursday night football on Amazon Prime? Like it bugs me. It it bugs me that they are the provider for that and not the NFL Network. Or uh, you can't watch it on Yahoo. Or you, you know what I mean? It's just I think I was listening listening to the herd this morning, and I think they only debuted one game earlier um, on Amazon Prime, and it was like 
such a terribly low like uh, viewership. And I don't know if it's because of the free preseason or if it's just because like a lot of people don't, um, if it's because people don't subscribe to Amazon prime or get that. I don't know, but I'm salty because I don't have prime. So I'm missing this matchup. We'll get the group together. We, we got this, but I, I will say that, you know, it, it's, the reason that Amazon Prime has Thursday Night Football is because the NFL is teasing who's going to get the Sunday ticket. Oh, here's where I get to use my degree. I'm so I'm so pumped. You're all going to roll your eyes. I'm going to love it. But from a media perspective, the NFL is incredibly lucrative, and they have signed billion-dollar deals with CBS, NBC, all the old heads. But what's new is that all of the, the, the streaming services – are vying for the NFL Sunday ticket. And that includes Apple. That includes YouTube. That includes all the big boys. Now, the reason that they're, they've given certain things to certain folks is because each of these contracts are independent. And so the Thursday Night Football contract was able to be got by Amazon. And so they'll have it for this season and, and a couple seasons more, if they've depending on how long they've signed it. Now, moving forward, even though DirecTV slash AT&T has the uh, current NFL Sunday ticket rights, that will be eventually changing. Now, NFL Plus is a potential uh, way for the NFL to bring a lot of that income in-house, but it won't necessarily work, in my opinion. And I really expect to see someone like Apple or YouTube TV, who already has Red Zone, be able to take on the majority of those games. And so... That's 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 the big reason there. However, I will say Amazon, unlike a lot of these other folks, are is more willing to share their um, viewership with people. So we'd be able to share my login for Amazon so you all can watch the Thursday night games a lot easier than, say, had Netflix won it for whatever reason, because <laughs> Lord knows they'd be ad and you know they would in, in not only enjoy the ad revenue and split the ad revenue but they would also be less likely to allow other people to to watch so that's from my perspective why um and so it's really um it's a test right it's a it's a debut it's to see how many people sign up if they get more people to be engaged in those processes and i don't think they will necessarily because i think espn or eventually disney plus <laughs> <laughs> will be a better better recipient, but we'll see. I think that's also why we see the streaming wars, right? We see the scramble and the shift in broadcasters. I mean, we now have Troy Aikman and Joe Buck doing Monday Night Football. You have Mike Tirico taking over for Al Michaels. Al Michaels going and getting to... paid. Exactly. This is where all the money is. It's like This is why there's such an investment in broadcasting because we know this is eventually going to end up in a streaming service. DirecTV is no longer going to have sole ownership over Sunday ticket. So now which company is going to put together the best broadcast team with the best sideline reporters with the best, you know, graphics department to really take over ESPN is in like, ESPN and Disney are in the game for Sunday ticket. Apple TV is in it. That's why they're trotting out new and new and different things to test with the MLS with Friday night baseball. You obviously know Amazon's in the hunt for it. So we're about to see probably 10 plus billion dollar deal for the rights to Sunday ticket. And that wouldn't be even the most shocking thing to happen. But and it what? Would be you're the saying that it all comes down to money? What? Right? Money? No you're kidding. No, way. no, but I mean, you, you're seeing it. You're seeing the same thing in college football. Everyone is doing conference realignments yep. and it's all coming down yep. to uh, TV money. I think the Big Ten just signed. Um, I don't, it was something stupid. It was like, was it like ten billion, fifty billion, hundred billion dollar TV contract um, for teams, and that's why that's why people are changing conferences. It's who whoever can get the most money and can pay the players. And I mean, and the at the end of the day, it will I guess it will help everyone and it benefits everyone. And by everyone, I mean mainly the people uh, in the NFL and whatnot. So. Yeah, baby, with that revenue yeah. sharing, gotta get the gotta get those numbers up. Pump those numbers. Those are rookie numbers. Let's go. Oh no, I was I was just gonna say that was a nice little uh, tangent we just went on, and uh, let's let's go ahead and get a couple game picks. And I was just gonna say let's let's mainly focus on Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night football. If you guys are cool with that, sounds good to me. All right, so let's stay on Thursday night since we've already are there. I made my pick, and I can't do this if if uh, they're healthy, if they're not. I'm just going to go ahead and say um, 
because I'm not certain. I'm going to say that the Chiefs win. Wait, where is it? Is it in Kansas City? We yeah. are in Kansas, Kansas City. Okay, so then I'm going to choose the Chiefs for this game. JP, what about you? I also have the Chiefs by a touchdown. Oh, uh, I'm going to be contrarian here, and I'm going to go with the Chargers only because I'm not sure how Patrick Mahomes' wrist is going to feel. Um, will he throw five touchdowns or six? We'll see. So that leads us to the Sunday night game. We have Bears at Packers. We got Chicago coming off a win, Green Bay coming off a loss. Mike, who you got taken in that game? Uh, I have the Packers. I think they'll bounce back. I, I, as much as – and as many teams as I have fields in, I, I, I really think the Packers will bounce back here. What about you? This is the Aaron Rodgers get-right game. Just like last year when they got blown out 38-3 to in the, in the season opener, I think Aaron Rodgers is now upset. And he's like, you know how he gets when he's pouty. Hi. It's going to be a – it's going to be a great get-back game, and you're going to see Alan Lazard come back and go off. Oh, is he back? It looks like he'll be back for week two. Yeah, I have the Packers in this one as well, um, mainly because Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. We all know that. I own you. <laughs> wow, we have a special Monday night game. We have two? Incredible, incredible. Greg, who do you have on Monday? So in the first game, I have um, the, first game I have the Bills over the Titans. And then the second game, I'm, I'm going strong. I'm going to say with the Vikings uh, over the Eagles. You have the Vikings over the Eagles in the second game? Yeah, in the second game, I have Vikings over the Eagles. Those are great picks. Um, I, I have the Bills and the Eagles, actually. Um, yeah, I think I think the Bills will take care of the Titans, even though Derrick Henry's a, a monster and a half. Um, and then I think the Eagles will outperform the Vikings. I am excited to see what that defense can do against the uh, Vikings offense. And I could be very wrong. I think the 8:30 game is really the one that's a toss-up for me. JP, what about you? So I think the Bulls are just going to absolutely beat the stuffing out of Tennessee. They don't have the offensive firepower after trading AJ Brown to keep up with the Bills. In the second game, I have the Eagles taking it as well. Everyone wants to talk about Justin Jefferson's game. It was amazing. He did wonderful. Um, let's not forget that AJ Brown had 10 receptions and 155 yards in his opener with the Eagles. I can't forget. I have him in fantasy. <laughs> so I think that, I think it's going to be a close game. I think, I think I got Philly taking it because Philly can go toe for toe offensively with the Vikings. Well, those are great picks folks. I I'm excited to see who's right. Who's wrong starting next week. Um, without any ado, I think I'll, I'll jump into the closing unless you guys have any, any objections. Uh, yeah, I, I have one more thing that I'd like to discuss real quick before we go in and I, I'm really glad that we're on video so I can j- see JP's face. And that is, um, I started 1-0 in fantasy this week um, <laughs> with, that, with that big dub. With that big dub over your boy JP. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I should have known better. I put my faith in anyone who's not named Lamar Jackson on the Ravens offense. That's uh, my You fault. put your faith in not having this segment. Let's go. Yeah, I did too. I thought we were going to get through that. You know what? I'll own up to it. I took an L, but I know you were watching that Monday night game and got real worried I was making that comeback because you had a 50-point lead going into it. I was not worried one bit. That's the best part. Oh, oh. <laughs> because I knew I had Melvin. I, I knew I had Melvin Gordon there too. So I was just like, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. <sighs> if I would have just started either, you know, any of the players on my bench who my bench end up putting up 60 points between three people. So, you know, you live and you learn it's week one. That's fine. I'll see you in the postseason. I don't know, JP. I thought after you beat me with bench points, you'd have learned to start those folks. That's fine. I mean, Hey, it's not my problem. I have a championship. I'm cool with it. That's fine by me. Yeah. No, I, I just yes, really wanted to it, <laughs> wait. I do have a championship. Don't we all? We all have champions, oh, except for when it comes to Madden. Mike doesn't have any of those. Oh yeah, we. Oh, about that. Well, at least those are oh. bench points, JP. Let's just go. Um, no, the, the, I I wanted to bring that up. Obviously, it's week one, but man, Mike really threw it in my face last year uh, when he beat me in fantasy on the podcast. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to return this favor now because I may not beat you guys again this year. So uh, I'm going to take this W. Fair enough. I will say, I will say, scoring the most points in week one in the in our in our uh, the league we're all in uh, meant nothing, and I'll, <laughs> I'll see if it I'll see if it carries on. <laughs> week one was my get right game. You know, I got to figure out my players. Got to figure out who's gonna perform. 
There you go. Wait, wait, you figure out who to start. <laughs> you know, everyone else says, "Why not you, JP?" Exactly right. <laughs> I mean, you can't look at me. No one in the AFC South won a game this week. An entire division with no wins <laughs> and they in week played, one. And and they played. And two teams played each other. <laughs> uh, when I saw that, when I saw that tweet and sent it to you guys, I I I about lost. I about lost it. I was just like. It's funny. I didn't even think about that, but oh, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> Without oh. further ado. Yeah, send us home, Mike. Thanks for listening. Please uh, like, subscribe, leave us a review. Um, not only do reviews mean a lot to us, and we love reading them, but they also help us get found by other people who are searching for new podcasts. Also, if you have an opportunity to check us out on Spotify, we'll have an interesting addition this season uh, with some lovely polls. Uh, please go vote. Let us know. Um, answer our questions, and we'll maybe feature it on the podcast. Tune in next Thursday for another episode of Not Another Football Podcast. Peace. See you next week. See y'all.